It is Cowboys night at AT&T Stadium. Bill Jones, Nate Newton, and look who's the man in the middle right now. Play Michael maker. Irvin, the playmaker, is in the house. He's yeah, tweeting hey, right now. I got to get this for my uh, my my Instagram story. You know, I'm back like that big fella right there. Nate, they're going to be Hey, guys, that's right. You got to also show the field. That's the real attraction right there is the football field with the Cowboys on it. But Mike, right quick, like, man, no numbers, man. Can you? Can you identify? Whoa. <laughs> he just sat down here and I just realized that, big fella. <laughs> now, well, y'all got to explain this to me because I told you I just flew here. <laughs> right. What we doing with the no numbers thing? Uh, yeah, help them out, Bill. There's no preseason games this year. So other teams can't scout the Cowboys. And so this is streaming live on DallasCowboys.com. <laughs> gonna make sure no hey, hey, I thought y'all, I thought you were gonna give me something that this is part of a team coming together to, to help That's support some of too. the guys that are some of the things that they're doing in social justice. And social justice. You tell me. <laughs> We, we, we are afraid Bill Belichick is somewhere in here. Yeah, he is. <laughs> what are we talking about? Always. Are we saying something uh, or somebody? Cause now, now, I love Bill Belichick. I'm yeah. just saying somebody's in here trying to cheat us hey. or scout us or something like that. It's on us, Mike. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's funny. No, I would not like that. There would there, there would have been some distinction. I would have come out here with some bright orange wristbands on in front of all this blue and white so you wouldn't know. The only thing else I got to say is how about them Cowboys? How about them, Cowboys, indeed. Well, we're getting closer to actual football, y'all. Yeah, the wait continues after yesterday's blue-white scrimmage, where there definitely wasn't any actual football happening. And if there was, well, that's too bad. You couldn't see it. We'll talk about it here and more. So welcome in to About Them Cowboys. I'm Kent Garrison, the Mike Reiner of the podcast, producing and all that implies... As we welcome in our expert panel for, yes, more Cowboys talk. But man, the Dallas Stars are headed toward that Stanley Cup. Bob Sturm is breaking down all the Cowboys stuff on the film side of things weekly at The Athletic. You can read about all that stuff and all our national stuff on every vertical at The Athletic. Go there, get 40% off theathletic.com slash Cowboys. That'll get you access to the entire site. Every single possible future episode of this podcast, because we might just drop a bonus episode on The Athletic every now and then, so you need to subscribe now. Get 40% off at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. So now, it's time to talk Cowboys, welcoming back to the show. He just launched his own podcast here on The Athletic Square One with Mike Reiner. You can subscribe now. He's the Kevin KT Turner of the podcast, because you just never know what the heck he's going to say, and you just want to give him a hug. It's Mike Reiner. Welcome back, Mike. Good to be with you. Excited to be at the, at the Athletic and excited to do this with you boys today. Thank you for having me. Excited to get all of your Cowboys thoughts, Mike. I know you have lots. It's been a while since you've talked Cowboys. It's no, been, you man, know, you have no year. idea what I've got. All right. Well, stay tuned for that, listener, and we'll try and have Mike on as much as possible. Uh, given the fact that he's in our family now here at the Athletic Dallas. And, um, you know, anytime we can call on the old gray wolf, we'll probably do so. So, so Which is another way now. of saying that, um, that I do what I'm told and I will enjoy it. Awesome. I will enjoy it. So, yeah, I you know if you listen to Mike's podcast and you're like, where's all the, where's all the Cowboys talk? Just subscribe to this podcast because we're going to get plenty of that in here. So now it's time to welcome in our Cowboys beat writer here at the Athletic. He's the 
Kent Garrison of the podcast because he loves him a good movie and he's just extremely handsome. He's Father John Mashoda. Hey, John. I know we're going to get into this, but I just I feel so bad for Cowboys fans having to watch that thing last night. <laughs> you got to be there and you were like uh, upset about it. <laughs> and I can't imagine yeah, the people people watching at home on what they expected. But yeah, you're right. We'll get into that. Back in the hosting chair. He's the John Mashota of the podcast because he's our godfather. He's Kevin KT Turner. Hey, man. Welcome back. Let's get into this. Yeah, th- thank you. And uh, so, so Mike, did you watch the uh, the Cowboys scrimmage? There was a lot going on yesterday. There was a lot. Go- you- there was a lot going on yesterday, and yes, I did tune in. I was rolling on it and tuned in. But I have to tell you, I tuned out fairly quickly. Was there any actual football shown? Uh, no, um, nothing. It was the only stuff that you saw on the field would be like a couple players, maybe like talking and like, you know, drinking some water and breathing. It was all tight shots. Uh, I checked out too, once I realized we weren't going to be seeing anything. Um, but you know, there was like a stars playoff game happening too. Uh, and the, uh, so there was a lot, there was a lot going on, obviously. So I was like, Hey, it doesn't matter. John was there. John was going to see everything, and John will tell us everything that happened. And then we find out that John's probably not even allowed to do that. Uh, so, John, what, what happened out there, man? Because all we saw was a lot of Nate Newton and, uh, you know, Rob Phillips and Nick Eatman and Michael Irvin and Bill Jones. Yeah, well, I knew it was going to probably be pretty bad when we showed up and the players were wearing jerseys about numbers and names on them. So, um you know, as all the beat writers, we were told going into this thing, like, you're not going to be able to tweet anything, uh, no pictures, no videos, all this stuff. And we're like, well, it's going to be live. Like, they're going to show all this stuff. They're like, no, they're not going to really show much at all. And we're like, okay, it's the Cowboys. They're going to show some stuff. And then so on the big screen at the stadium was basically what the TV telecast was. And so I kept looking up and I'm like, they're not showing anything. Like, And then on Twitter, I felt bad for my friends that are at DallasCowboys.com because they were just getting trashed by it. I was like, why are you guys even showing this? This is just a waste of our time, you know? Um, And the way it was teased was like there was going to be all these like unique interviews and things like that with like Dak and Zeke and all these guys. And I was like, there's no way they can do that because they're not going to have somebody on the field interviewing them in these times. So it was a lot of the interview stuff that we had already done with them via conference call. So basically, if you tuned in, the only original content you were really seeing was the six or seven minute interview with Jerry Jones from his suite. And so... uh, it was it was tough. It was tough for us up in the press box watching these guys all the time. You know, we had to second guess who was making certain plays because you didn't know for sure uh, because some of these guys look so much alike with the way that they wear their uniforms and the cleats and gloves and things like that. I mean, even with the rookies, it was easy to normally tell who those guys were because they didn't have stars in their helmet, but they even put stars in all those guys' helmets uh, for this particular practice. So. Uh, I'll say this. I know it it makes Mike McCarthy look like he's being super secretive and he's always going to be like that. That's not the case. He's just doing it for this practice because they're not having preseason games. He doesn't want to show anything to opposing teams. But going forward, they're not going to do these types of of practices like this and be as secretive because there's going to be preseason games. So if you're trying to hide Ben DiNucci or somebody on your roster, people are going to see it during the preseason games anyway. So I think this was a one-off, but it certainly wasn't something that made for good television. Well, I'll tell you what, from the standpoint of the sports consumer, there may be a bigger sports waste of time that we're going to see somewhere along the line this year. But, boy, I can't imagine what it would be. Yeah, I can't either. There's no way. But I mean, and they went three hours. 
Like they went the whole time. <laughs> Shout out uh, to uh, our our comrades over at DC.com for yeah, having to having to come up with stuff to talk about for three hours when they're not showing much. I mean, that's I'm you're right. Uh, I feel bad for them having to to get handed that information. Oh, by the way, uh, this game you've been prepping for, you can't show anything. And how do you get through that? So, you know, doing a great job over there. But, you know, when I used to work over there, we used to complain all, all the time about not being able to do stuff because of Jason Garrett. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking you guys this question because it was always said, it's like, even back then, like we were like, oh, we really want to do a hard knocks, uh, our in-house hard knocks. We want to do a, something where we follow them the whole season and we got locker room and we were in the meeting rooms and Garrett was like, no, you're not, you're not coming in here. We're like, oh, can we follow a player for a whole? No, you're not following a player. You're not singling anybody out. You're, we're, we're, it's, none of that's happening. And so we were just like, gosh, this guy is so lame. And people used to say, well, wait till he's gone and somebody else comes in here that's even worse than him <laughs> about this stuff. And I was like, I don't know how that's possible. But now I come totally see what they, what they meant. I don't know if if Jason would have said, oh, we're not going to show anything. We're going to keep it tight. Like, I feel like McCarthy really has a grasp on controlling this thing, what gets out there. And to my surprise, it seems to be even more severe than what Jason Garrett had in place. Well, one, let me just say, though, the, one of the reasons why is because it's a new coaching staff. McCarthy right. believes this is a huge advantage he Exactly. Has. There's no film out there. Right. So if it was Garrett, you're not going to have as much of an advantage because – Teams already know. You've seen a decade of the type of yeah. stuff he he does. So, yeah, it's it's so McCarthy will say it's about hiding young players in the roster that other teams can't see, but it's also about hiding scheme things and stuff like that. You know that we've seen at practice. That's why they didn't do any like trick plays or anything during that practice yesterday, just in case any of it was shown. Uh, even though we have seen them work on trick plays during practice and things like that, and so they're trying to keep everything close to the the vest. But I I don't know I. I don't know how much you were really going to give away in that type of a scrimmage like that, that some team was going to watch and be like, we got to go get this guy all of a sudden. It just, I don't know. No, I, I think, think I think you can add much. four more wins to the win column because of right. how they did it last night. Yes, because of that last night. Four more wins. <laughs> you know, it is that means they like, should go 16-0, and 0, right? That's Run the table. Met. Run the table. No, what's the uh, well, like three, I was thinking about the three most important things though for, uh, for a football team. Like quarterback play one talent of the roster too, but is strategy three, because I will say this of all the things that people hated about Jason Garrett around here, the press conferences, the, the blah message at all, you know, after a certain amount of time, the number one thing that I didn't like about Jason Garrett is I didn't feel like he brought them anything from a strategy standpoint. I thought he had enough years experience to be like a better clock manager, uh, to be a guy who could, you know, handle the end of half and end of game situations. And it never really seemed to work that way. So I actually do like that we have a have a coach that's trying to be good, or at least to get off to to a good start from a strategy standpoint. I know from following the Packers for a, for many years that he is going to frustrate you with his timeout usage and his clock management at times. But that might be every coach. Who knows? But uh, I actually like that we're kind of saying, hey. Strategy does matter. <laughs> we play the Rams in two weeks. I'm not going to show you everything we have. I actually kind of like that. But I also uh, know I know there's a lot of Cowboys fans who are mad, and I'm like, guys, just turn the channel. You don't have to watch it. Like, it's just a scrimmage. It's not that exciting in the first place, to be honest. Yeah, but it's, it's the Cowboys, so of course it's you know exciting. What? The catch-22 about that is if they didn't show it, the Cowboys fans would be like, <laughs> 
why didn't you show it? I don't care if it's just guys just standing around. I want to watch this team. I want to learn about these, you know, so that you can't win in that situation. I could have rewatched three episodes of Breaking Bad and got way, way more action. Right. I, I understand on the defensive side about hiding things and not giving too much up. I get that because defensively, there is going to be a lot more three, four looks and you add a guy like Alden Smith and Everson Griffin. And so there's going to be some changes there. Um, and I understand that, but offensively, like when we can't, you know, report about position groups to me, that's laughable because they didn't take CD lamb at 17 because they were going to slowly work him into this offense. And maybe he'll get a play here or there. Like they told you that they were going to go 11 personnel, three wide receivers out there, Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield, not a lot of fullback when they drafted CD lamb, you would never have spent the 17th overall pick for just to add another wide receiver that could just back up Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. Like, so while we can't tweet about these position groups and stuff like that, it's pretty obvious that CD Lamb is out there working with the ones and they're they're finding a variety of ways. Like they didn't keep Kellen Moore to be the OC because they wanted to do a bunch of the stuff that Jason Garrett was doing. I mean, they're trying to be more innovative. So, um, you know, I understand on the defensive side, offensive side, like nobody should really be surprised. Like they're going to be much more modern than they've been in years past. You know, I think too, like, so all that stuff, all that stuff's fine. Like, a, you know, we start moving ahead though. We're two weeks away. John, is there anything that you saw out there? Not, not just in the scrimmage yesterday, but over the last, like Xavier Woods, I know got hurt yesterday, but is there anything that's kind of changed a little bit since the last time we talked last week? It's something you might've seen in practice. It's kind of, you know, get you, get you feeling better about this team as we kind of move ahead. I would say one thing that stood out to me defensively is that don't, look for DeMarcus Lawrence, you know, for the longest time, he would only play on the left side. It seems like there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching with him, Everson Griffin and Alden Smith. It seems like all three of those guys are going to move around quite a bit so that they can find a way to have almost at least one of those guys, if not two on the field at all times, which obviously helps. The other thing is just Alden Smith continues to, he looks good. And that has surprised me because when you don't play football since 2015, I thought there was going to be some rust there. And I thought even in the first couple of practices, I'm like, yeah, this is fine. These are just kind of walkthroughs or whatever. Let's see it in another week or two. But he is, he has looked the, he has looked the part for sure. So that's one thing. And then offensively, it's really, uh, it's really how much they've been using Tony Pollard. And I know that's what a lot of fans wanted for a long time. And I think you're going to see Tony Pollard, uh, out there more than you had you did last year and it's not just not because they think he's a better playmaker than Ezekiel Elliott it's because they want the Ezekiel Elliott they're going to get week one to be in the same Ezekiel Elliott they might get in week 15 or 16 and so instead of beating him down early on in the season like you might have seen in previous years I think that you're going to see a little bit of a less of a workload for him early on but um, you know obviously if they have lead late in game they're going to run the ball with him so um, that and then just really not using a traditional fullback that much you know I mean you've seen like the tight ends are getting chances more at fullback. There's going to be a lot more backfields that Ezekiel Elliott's going to be running out of where there's no, there's no, you know, fullback back there, which most people probably wanted to see. But now it's finally, it seems like that's coming to fruition, which is something that, you know, Jason Garrett really always wanted a fullback. And even Mike McCarthy in the pack has always have a fullback, but it just seems like this offense is going to be a lot more similar to what we've seen in college football than it's been in the last 10 years with the Cowboys. Getting back to the Pollard thing, Johnny. Now, you know that they told us that last year, too. It's true. That they were going to use him a lot. And for the first few weeks, they did. 
And then that was a, a fairly uh, reasonable disappearing act that he did. You know, they tell us one thing and they go with it for a little while. And then for whatever reason, maybe they don't like it. Maybe there's some valid reason for, I don't know, but they get away from it. You think that'll be different this year? I really think it depends on if they win. If, if they come out the gate and they look like crap and they're not really moving the ball, I, I think anything's on the table. I mean, right now, everything's great. You know, anything McCarthy yeah, says, sure. it seems like fans are just eating it up. Like, oh, this is exactly what we need. Like, anything they do in practice, like, that's what we needed to be doing. It's like, let's calm down. It's really not that much different. I mean, it's the NFL. Like, I understand that people have grown that dislike Jason Garrett over the 10 years because he was, you know, boring to them. And, and it, it just wasn't a guy they can rally behind. This is guys can, like the complete opposite. So everyone's excited about that. I get that. But if they start losing games early on in the season, you can't even guarantee me that Mike McCarthy doesn't take over play calling. Like right now, it's just blasphemous to even speak of that. But I'm like, if they start out and they are playing terrible, this guy that has called plays is almost his entire career and won a Super Bowl doing so, he's taken back over play calling. I don't care what anybody says. So as of right now, yeah, everything's great. Kellen Moore's calling plays. You know, Tony Pollard's out there. Blake Jarwin's getting involved. You know, they're getting everybody the ball. Yeah, that's great. But... If they start losing, I mean, Mike McCarthy wasn't brought in here like, Mike, just slowly bring this team along. You'll be fine. Let's just see. Maybe in a couple of years we'll, we'll make we'll make a run at the Super Bowl. No, he was brought in to win now. And so, um, yeah, right now you make a great point because right now it looks great on the field with Pollard and that. But uh, once we see it in games and if teams are shutting that down, they're going to have to change on the fly. So, yeah. I mean, just you just Mike McCarthy made a comment the other day, like passive aggressively when they were talking about Kellen Moore. And he was like, yeah, it is going to be really uncomfortable for me to not call plays. Like, yeah, two or three weeks in a row of scoring 17 points. McCarthy will be ripping that playbook away from Kellen Moore's bare hands. I mean, it'll be it'll happen so quick because he wants to call plays. That comment tells not- you that comment tells you all you need to know right there. <laughs> yes. And he is, I'm telling you, and you mentioned the same thing about like Garrett. Yeah, people when Garrett was hired thought Garrett was hot ass. Like they were like, this is the this is the the next offensive genius, okay? Just to get Wade out of here. They will learn to not like McCarthy at some point unless they win a Super Bowl or two. You know, that's just it's just probably how it's gonna be, and that's just kind of how fans think around here. But McCarthy is very much a guy who, and you may not be seeing it yet, but you will see it. He's very much a guy who wants his credit. And you make sure you're putting some respect on his name. I saw all of this in Green Bay. It was insane. This is, this will happen, but you just might not see it now. And right now it does feel like a breath of fresh air. So well, here, let me throw one more, one more possibility out there too. Everything's great right now, so there hasn't been any negative comments about him or anything that he's doing from Jerry Jones. And so if things start going the wrong direction, you know Jerry can't help himself. You know, he likes to interject. And I I make the argument that that might have been Jason Garrett's greatest strength was getting along with Jerry Jones and allowing him to just kind of bite his tongue and let things go, maybe to his detriment, honestly. Um, I don't know that Mike McCarthy's going to do that. So things could get interesting from that standpoint, too. Um but maybe we hear less from Jerry just because, you know, there. I don't know how he's going to talk after games. I think he will occasionally on a conference call, but there's not going to be as much access to him. But he still does a radio show twice a week. So, yeah, everything's yeah. great right now. It's the honeymoon stage, I guess. So we'll see. You a lot could the, change real fast. You mean the biggest single event of any Cowboy game, that being the post-game impromptu press conference of the general manager slash owner? Is going to go away? Hey, we have a bet going on this show, Mike. 
Do you, John seems to think Jerry's going to find a way to make himself available after these games, whether it's getting on a Zoom uh, video chat, whether it's calling into the radio station. If he has something to say after a game, he's going to say it. I um, guarantee you he how, will. How, how, how do you think that's going to happen? You see that happening uh, how soon into the season? Let's say they start 0-2. Do you think week two you, uh, you hear from Jerry after the game? I think week one you hear from him. <laughs> You know, oh, I hope so. I mean, I, I mean, so. he he loves that. Yeah, he loves that because he knows, like I say, that is the biggest single event associated with any cowboy game. That that supersedes anything that went on on the field during the game, during the pregame, whatever. You know, everybody is there to see what he has to say after the game. Absolutely. You know, the only the only thing that I could see him kind of hanging out in the shadows is if they're in the next two, three, four weeks becomes a little more of a spotlight on the NFL on a political uprising or a social injustice uh, uprising or focus on the anthem or whatever. If that stuff comes back, then I do think you see him hide out in the shadows. Yeah, like no, I, I, I do agree with that. That could take the starch out of him real fast because I think he wants to stay as far away from all that as he possibly can. Yeah. It'll be tough, though, on those Tuesday morning radio interviews because they'll have to be asked about, especially if, like, as of right now, I mean, I fully expect Don Terry Poe to kneel during the National Anthem and be the first Cowboys player to do that. And so I find it hard to believe that Jerry's not going to be asked about that. Even if he doesn't want to talk after the game, he's going to have to – it's going to be addressed on, you know, well, Tuesday morning. So. He will be asked about it, but nobody deflects like Jerry. That's true. Nobody <laughs> does. He's number one gold medal deflector. There's no doubt. <laughs> um, but you know, also like, uh, Mike, just a, where, I'm curious your thoughts on because yesterday, last night, I, one part I did see was when um, the sun was shining into his booth, and <laughs> almost like he was a godlike figure. The sun was shining onto his booth while he was doing an interview, <laughs> and um, he was, uh, you know, they asked him about fans in week two, and he said, "I same thing as, as you thought he would say. I think there will be a bunch of fans in the stadium here. I think we can pull that off. You know, what are your thoughts on pulling the season off, one, and then two, you know, getting fans in the stadium as well? What do you think about all that? I don't know. For a long time, I didn't think there was any way that there would be an NFL season this year because, let's face it, this is all about social distancing, and football is – not a game that embraces that concept at all. I mean, you have very, very large men sweating, spitting, blowing snot rockets, <laughs> farting on each other. You know, I mean, who knows? <laughs> and they're in very close contact. For a long time, I thought that that prospect alone would put an end to any chance of a football season, but apparently they're going to go on with this thing. Now, I don't know how far they're going to get. Maybe they'll get all the way. I don't know. But until, until the, the cloud of the coronavirus starts to lift, it, it's real hard for me to imagine that. I'm just going to enjoy football while it's here, but I don't expect it to, to go the distance. Yeah, I was kind of hoping they would add in like, or maybe like shorten the schedule to 12 or 14 games and have these like flexible bye weeks. So if you have an outbreak like we had in baseball, because that's yeah. the model. But, the yeah, model is baseball. And, and, and that is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, some there's going to be an outbreak somewhere and some team is going to have to cancel a game because of it. Yeah, for those listening, we're recording this on Monday. So on Sunday morning, I was, uh, you know, looking at Twitter and I saw a tweet that uh, an A's player or an Astros player 
tested positive for COVID. 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning. Today's game's postponed. So what happens at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning and we hear uh, a, uh, a Rams player has tested positive for COVID? Game just postponed? What, what is the oh, play? I don't know there? about that. Not the NFL, I guess, yeah. No, I don't know no, about that. No, I don't know if one player. If there's anybody who will fight through it, it's the NFL for it's, sure. Yeah. If it's one player, they're going to do the put that one player in quarantine, do the uh, contact tracing, test the players that he was around. If they're negative, then they're good. You know, I think they're going to take it one case at a time unless one morning, you know, they're doing a batch of tests and there's – 25 positives then i think okay we've got to cancel this game but i think if they can get around it especially with with rosters as big as they are i think they're going to do that now if it's a starting quarterback if drew Brees uh, wakes up on game day and has COVID 19 or somebody like that then i don't know if the coach has any say on whether to postpone the game like i don't know if i want to go out there against the uh, buccaneers on sunday night football with my uh with Jameis winston right so i don't know um it's yeah. going to be very interesting, but I, th- I, yeah, I think it's going to take a lot for them to postpone any of this. But if a guy goes out there and is sick and doesn't tell anybody and goes out there and plays anyway, and then gets really bad and has to, you know, go to the hospital and be shut down or something like that, they find out that he had it and was out there playing and blowing those snot rockets all over everybody with it <laughs> and everything, then, then yeah, I can see where that would shut down. You know, that team that he played against next week and maybe his own team too. Absolutely. And to me, there's also there's also nothing normal at all about a bunch of 320 pound dudes in their 20s. Like I'm worried about the offensive linemen and defensive linemen. You get that, your breathing is going to be a little more difficult. Like I, that's where it becomes kind of a bigger issue to me. Is like, what well, if you really put a player like someone like in like real like like a real bad bad situation health wise. So that's you, a good point a that you bring up. That's loss. a good. That's a very good point because, so Ezekiel Elliott obviously had it, and he said that he didn't work out for an entire month because doctors told him not to because of they didn't want him to put too much wear and tear on on his lungs and on his heart because of how they've been finding that how it's affecting those particularly those two organs, and so when I heard that I immediately thought to like you know people have been saying like, oh, you know, if you had COVID, you know, you wait, you're going to have to quarantine for like two weeks. Well, is two weeks enough for an NFL player to just come back after two weeks? Do they have to wait a month? Is it, you know, how long do they wait on there? I don't want to, I don't want to take this change of subject too much real quick, but just because you brought up the fans, I need to throw this out and get your guys take on this. What about the idea of just like all the fans that do get in? Let's say, because Jerry already said it won't be 50% at AT AT&T Stadium. So 50% would be roughly 40,000. So I'll go even half of that. I'll say 20,000. And if you want, just for fun, we'll even say 10. You think 10,000 people are just going to all get along and everything's going to be fine? Like people, first of all, if you have a ticket, you think that when you go in there to get screened and they take your temperature, what if it is over 100 and the machine's wrong or something? I'm coming in that thing. I'm not You think those people are just going to turn around and be like, no, I guess we can't go in today. And then what about when you get in there? And, you know, you're going to have to have masks on, but let's say you take your mask off to eat or something like that or drink, or you're someone that just doesn't believe in masks. And as soon as you get in there, you take it off. You don't think that other people around you aren't going to be yelling, hey, put your mask on. Hey, put a mask on. Like there's going to be, there's going to be issues that. Mask shaming. It's going to be a lot of of stadium fights. Yeah. A lot of. Right. That we're not seeing everywhere else because no one else is allowing fans in. So this, the whole Cowboys game day situation could be a a real interesting scenario that we're not seeing from any other team up to this point. 
there's like a shooting there once a year in the parking lot. I mean, like, yeah, it's totally going to be a problem. And, and, and don't think a for a second. Don't think for a second it's just going to be okay. Again, I'll go back and I'll say ten thousand people. Don't think it's going to be ten thousand Cowboys fans. I've already had friends reaching out to me that are fans of other teams and are like, "Hey, uh, when like the Eagles or whoever play down there, I'm going to come stay with you because I want to go to the game because I can't go to any Eagles games here in Philly." And I'm just like, "Yeah, I didn't even think about that." Like, there's going to be fans that are like, "Well, there's only one stadium that has fans. I'm going to that stadium." So I don't know. They're doing a. They're doing tailgating too. They're letting the fans. Uh, tailgate before the game. I I see more problem there than I do when they get in the stadium and there's, you know, I, you say a lot about AT and T Stadium, but that place is pristine. Like that place, if there's any place where the corona, the COVID probably is going to have a hard time latching onto, it might be AT and T Stadium. I mean, that thing is sanitized <laughs> for the last decade. I mean, that thing looks brand spanking new. Like. I'm more worried about, you know, before the game when, when fans are unruly and walking between cars and not wearing masks. And when there's less of a, oh, we're not in the game, uh, this is what we agreed to type thing, you know? So um, I had a question about the uh, the old scrimmage there, John Machota, though. Um, to to rewind a, just a tad here, um, you know, we didn't see much on on TV, but was there one player maybe that stuck out to you as – we weren't talking about this guy. Was it all just pretty basic stuff of, um, you know, what you expected? Or was there any, like, a big play from any, you know, receiver that we weren't, weren't talking about, anything like that? So not one player, but I, I'd say I'll, I'll say two on offense and two on defense. On yeah. offense, Noah Brown, and he's been good oh. in all the, all the practice coming up there. Like, I went into training camp not really knowing who would be those back two wide receivers, like the last two on the roster, like, to me – it's easily Noah Brown and Cedric Wilson uh, would be round out that five receivers. I think they're going to keep. So I think that's pretty much ironed itself out. Noah Brown looks really good. Uh, Tony Pollard would be the other guy in offense, both catching the ball and running the ball. He's been, he's been getting a lot of work with first and second teams. I don't think we're supposed to say that, but um, so he's looked really good. And then on defense, um, you know, for a while there with Alden Smith and Everson Griffin, I was just kind of like, well, yeah, of course we're getting the quarterback because you know, they're going against, Terrence Steele and uh, Wyatt Miller. But now that, you know, Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins have been back, like they're giving them a run for their money too. And so um, that was pretty impressive to see. Now, of course, they're not allowed to hit the quarterback, you know, but basically they get to the quarterback and they just stop. You know, it's it would have been a sack, you know, on the play. So, um, you know, I just know that on the outside, people are probably like, oh, you know, everyone's overhyping this pass rush. No, this pass rush is going to be pretty good as long as those guys can stay healthy. What about the coverage? Yeah. That's, I'm worried about cornerback. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Know? Well, you should be. I mean, look at the yeah. investments they put in at that at that position. Why would you think all of a sudden it's just like, oh, we're going to disguise more, snap our fingers, we're going to be better? Like, no. I mean, they're gonna there's still going to be issues back there. I just think the difference is that they're going to take more chances. So they're going to give up some big plays, but then they're also going to make some plays. Like Trayvon Diggs, I believe, is the best um, pass catcher of the DBs I've seen them have in a while. Um, that, you know, that's one of the things with Byron Jones. I just, Byron Jones is a freak athlete, could have probably played wide receiver. He just can't catch like a wide receiver. Trayvon Diggs catches like a wide receiver. So I, he would be my front runner to lead the team in, in interceptions. But, uh, yeah, the back in the defense, it just, it just, that's going to be one of the team's weaknesses. But if you broke down the entire roster and you went through like what they've invested free agency and draft wise, it should be one of their weak areas. They just have invested the least amount in, in those positions. So, um, 
you know, and 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 because of that, I completely understand why people want to keep talking about Earl Thomas because it's not like they're not adding him right now because oh we don't we got plenty of talent we don't need him they could certainly use Earl Thomas but there's obviously other reasons that they haven't been interested in him up until this point but no yeah you shouldn't just think all of a sudden yeah the secondary is just gonna you know be this lockdown you know each you know couple guys with five six picks that now that's not gonna be the case do you think that's totally dead Johnny? Uh no 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 I won't think it's totally dead until he signs with another team and um I'm trying to think how I should put this uh if there was no Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones was, was running the team, I would say, yeah, it's dead. But because of Jerry Jones and Jerry Jones's history of if he really wants that, make that splash player, whether it's a T.O. or a Greg Hardy or something like that, like he gets it done. So because of that, because of Jerry, Jerry's the one that's keeping the door open on this. And because he's the ultimate decision maker, I can't completely shut it. But if there was no Jerry Jones, yeah, I would say they would be out. But maybe he maybe he pulls a T.O. and and forces them on the coaching staff, even though they might not want him. Do you think if it wasn't for the off the field incident this year, that he would be on the team right now? Like if it was just a locker room, Oh, got in a fight, didn't like his teammates. Like you get him in this environment, uh, you know, Cowboys always feel good about their own situation. Is it an off the field issue? Why they're not bringing him in or purely what they see on tape? No, I think that's probably 75% of it. The other 25 is that, you know, he's not the exactly the same player he used to be. He's obviously getting older. And then it just, it's a new staff. So, I mean, when it seemed like it was a perfect fit, you know, with Garrett, a lot of that was because of Chris Richard. Richard had coached Earl Thomas in Seattle, similar type of defensive styles and things like that. Well, there, there's something to be said for, you know, the two teams that he's wore out his welcome with in Seattle and Baltimore. Those are two of the best run teams in the NFL. So, um, you know, that carries more weight than if it was, you know, the Jaguars or the Lions. I still think, and we have to mention it because we mention it every time Earl Thomas comes up, but 2020 has been a wild year. And never forget that that story that happened with Earl Thomas back in February or whatever was one of the most amazing sports stories of all time. For sure. Hooking up with the girl and your brother's hooking up with the girl and you guys are all in the same bed. And then there's a gunplay involved. That was, that was a wild order. That was out there. That was out I mean, there. Even by Cowboy standards, that's out there. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a team that had that was once harboring the machine gun couch, you know? So true. machine gun couch couch team. Yep. And that was too out there for the Cowboys. That wasn't too out there for the Cowboys. Yeah, we can deal with that. But uh, yeah, Airbnb well, situation. I don't want to deal with that. The coach didn't want anything to do with that. I wonder if this coach wants anything to do with this Earl Thomas. I never knew Earl Thomas was such a wild card. And then you get late in your career and you're like, wow, he's got a lot of stuff. Uh, That's that's weird. All all this stuff has come out late in his career. You know? I mean, for for the better part of it, he was just up there in Seattle doing his thing. Really, really good player. And that's, uh, that's all I thought about him. And now, I mean, my gosh, he's getting it on with a couple of chicks and his brother, and they're on the same bed and stuff. I mean, that's that's out there even by standards of the '60s. My, my, I wonder though how much it. I'm not saying that that stuff happened before; it would have still come out regardless. But I wonder how much of it is also that the whole thing with like professional athletes, where you know you can put up with a lot if the player is elite like of the elite level where you're like all right we just have to deal with this stuff like behind the scenes guy not showing up to meetings getting in fights with players and things like that on the team 
But then when the talent starts to drop off a little bit, it gets to a point where you have to judge like, well, is it still worth it anymore to have this guy on the team? And I think that's the balance that Baltimore had to strike because of the fact that they off, they offered him so much money. I mean, the contract they gave him, I thought was absurd at the time. And then he plays there for one year. So I think that the talent drop off factors into it too, that, you know, we've seen it. I mean, there's no better example for me than Antonio Brown. I mean, Antonio Brown, if he wasn't such a freak on Sundays, you're just like, why is this guy even getting a trial? But he continues to still get these opportunities because he's so much better than just about everybody else at his position. But Maybe that's what maybe that factors into. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I've just been crushing this Earl Thomas tape and I can tell you exactly like that he's lost a step, but maybe that factors in with them as well. You know, Mike, I know you've got your own plans for your podcast, but I would like to just suggest for the future, maybe just write this down an episode maybe where you power rank your top sports sex scandals. Uh, because I mean, nothing will top Tiger Woods, right? Yeah, that Tiger's got to be the number no, one. No, yeah, that's, that, that's virtually untouchable. Hold on. Why is it? Why is it untouchable for you guys? Because um, because of who he is, because I feel like if that was John Daly, people would be like, yeah, that's what John Daly does. But is it also because of the fact of the persona that Tiger Woods yes. tried to portray up until? Yes, <laughs> it is. That's exactly why. I mean, that very much plays into it. I mean, and he was just that... so brazen about it. He was yeah, just yeah. so like behind the scenes, just such a freak like he would never think that about that person you know that's why it was so shocking i mean here was a guy who went to such incredible extraordinary lengths to present himself as this clean pristine without flaws guy to the point where we i mean we didn't even know about him We, we knew very little about him and then there's that one day where this report comes down that something crazy happened with him and some chick in a car, and and the next thing you know, the whole the whole tirade rolls out. Never seen anything like it, but yes, I'll definitely do a podcast on the top sex scandals in sports. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing radio. Mike and Corby uncovering which un- adult film star or which pancake waitress, because every day. It was a new woman comes forward with details of Pan- Tiger, oh, who was oh my the quietest guy. It was amazing. Oh, it was extraordinary. I remember, Mike, you read the uh, Tiger Wood text messages on the, yes. air, on the air. Yes. We're going to have to have you read the Earl Thomas police report at some point on the air. On the Gladly. Air, you say little, the word, man. A little dramatic reading of that would be I'm your boy. Awesome. I'm here to serve you these days. <laughs> well, KT, let's... Uh, Tiger, real quick on yeah. Tiger. Um I was around him one time in the Cowboys locker room because he was he's friends with Romo. And so he comes down to the locker room. I rode the elevator down with uh, Tony's cousin and, and Tiger because I had, was writing right after the game got over. And so the three of us ride this elevator down, and I didn't want to even acknowledge him because I'm just like, I, I'm sure he gets this all the time. Like, oh, my God, you're Tiger Woods. I don't really say anything to him. He doesn't say anything. Like, we're, So we walk all the way from the elevators to the locker room, which is a pretty long walk at AT&T Stadium. Don't say anything or whatever. He gets in the locker room and like he was walking around, but like it's like he didn't even really talk to any of the players. It was just like he just I don't know, like it was a weird behind the scenes where I was like, this guy has just such a a tight circle of people that he allows in to that group. And to me, that makes that whole thing even crazier because that's the last person that you think would have this <laughs> this <laughs> these reputation of hooking up with these in these Perkins parking lots and stuff like that. Like it was just, it was so bizarre. I mean, and you know how the Cowboys locker room is. I mean, you'll see, you'll walk around there randomly. Grant Hill will be in there. Or 
Hulk Hogan or Chris Christie. It's just like, you know, whatever. But the Tiger Woods time he was in there, I was just like, why'd you even go in here? Like, you don't even really want to talk to anybody. Like, what was the whole reason of even doing this? Just seemed like a, he's just a really different dude. You should have just gone in the elevator and been like, Eldrick, good to see you. No, I was not going to say anything. Eldrick. He wasn't like, he wasn't like Seinfeld in the Bulls locker room trying to crack jokes. No, no, not at all. Not at all. It was, it was almost like someone paid him that he had to be there. Like, you know how like if a person is a paid appearance and you're just like, yeah, they're not enjoying it, but you know that they're going to get the money for it or whatever, but. I don't know, man. Like, he's tight with Romo. I mean, they, like, hung yeah. out, I guess, the night before. And, you know, he had dinner at his house and stuff like that. Like, they're really, they're really close. But uh, I don't know. It was, it was, he's a different cat, that's for sure. All right, Kent, over to you now. Yeah, KT, before we get to our fantasy draft here, I want to tell our listeners about Manscaped. Yeah, guys, take care of yourselves. When it comes to men's hygiene, Manscaped is about as safe as taking Christian McCaffrey in a PPR league. Maybe if you're the Cowboys, maybe a Dak. Guys, I know a lot of you don't like to think about manscaping, but maybe the woman in your life would appreciate that. Maybe you should think of her during this time. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Subscribers get not one, but two free gifts when you sign up for Manscaped. The Shed Travel Bag, that's a $39 value, which is excellent. And also those patented high-performance Anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. Get 20% off and free shipping with code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Fall is coming. Take care of those crops. Take care of that harvest with Manscaped. That's manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. It's time. We talked about this. We know a lot of people out there are doing fantasy drafts, including KT and I have our fantasy draft coming up this week. But we thought we'd do something similar for the podcast. Maybe a little Cowboys-centric fantasy draft. So what we've come up with here, I'm calling the Everyone But Dak Draft 2020. Patent pending. And so, you ask why Everyone But Dak? So what we're going to do is each of us are going to go around here and pick three players. And at the end of the year, we're going to get here and uh, decide who had the best team. You know, a lot of these categories are, aren't stats heavy, you know, so it's not like, oh, this guy had the most touchdowns, so I win. Um, you can pick anyone on the team, and we can weigh at the end of the year the impact that player on the team. Uh, you know, basically, I think the winner of this is going to stick out like a sore thumb at the end of the year because, like, oh, this guy, one of us had these two players and, you know, uh, they led in these two categories, and so that will determine the winner. The loser will have to do a little bet payoff on the show, too, and we'll find uh, that. So that'll be entertaining for the listener as well. But, KT, um, if you want to maybe randomly pick somebody, um, then uh, we can get this thing started. I guess we'll go snake, maybe counterclockwise from the Zoom here. So pick one of us, and then we'll go around in the circle that way. So um, I think we everyone should let but special... Dak is on the table here. We should let our special guest, Mike Reiner, go first. Okay. It's only okay. right. First pick. All right. For the first pick of the Zoom Fantasy Draft, I will take CeeDee Lamb. Oh, Ooh. okay. Now, I've been wondering this as well. I mean, last year he probably could have gone in the air and say, wow, Mari's probably going to be the number one guy. But this year, 
I think any one of those top three guys could could end up leading this team in receiving yards. I think Amari's role is going to be even less because, you know, Gallup's taking a, a, another step, and then Dak's obviously familiar with CD because uh, of this offseason. So I did not expect that from you. I, I thought he would maybe be the second or third receiver off the board, but there you go. No, Number but one overall. That's a gr- and, and that's a great pick for this thing because yep. we're not going off just stats. It's off of the perception. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that CD Lamb – like his perception, like he might have less receiving yards than Amari or Michael Gallup, but I think the perception of him, uh, depending on how the season goes, is going to be higher than those guys because not only is he going to be a wide receiver, CeeDee Lamb's getting all of those jet sweep type carries that we had seen in the past with Randall Cobb, all those guys, and he has the best chance to break plays that way. So they're going to use him in multiple ways offensively. And then the other side of it is that He's gonna get he's gonna get all those opportunities in big moments to return punts. And as we saw with Des Bryant, even as a rookie, like the opportunities he's gonna have there in the return game, all he has to do is have really two or three big returns, and that's gonna stick out like a sore thumb to Cowboys fans because this team has really had almost nothing in the return game for a while now. And so um, I I do believe personally when this season's done, the perception of C. Lamb will be will be amongst like the Dax, the Zeeks, and all those guys just because he's going to be used in a variety of ways more so than we've seen from a Cowboys player in a long time. I think it's the best Cowboys draft pick in years. No, it, absolutely. I mean, they got so lucky for that to, for him to fall that far. Yeah. I, just, I didn't think it was a possibility, you know? And especially so, last night, I know there wasn't much to get out of that watching that thing, but I thought it was interesting how – that's the first time I've heard Jerry talk about – Kalevon Chason, and I don't even think he knows Kalevon Chason's name, but he specifically was talking about that the LSU pass rusher we really wanted was still there and how excited they were, and they wanted to take him, but they just couldn't take him because CeeDee Lamb was there because they never thought he would be there. And that's the first time I've really heard anybody in the organization really talk about Chason, which again, he said LSU pass rusher, but we all knew who he was talking about. But it just, that was interesting there that they really liked him so much, but they just couldn't even they couldn't even come to grips with the idea of that, you know, we pass on this guy that we could, this could end up haunting us for a long time, not only for themselves, but just the fact that, I mean, heck, he could have fallen to the Eagles and then you got to deal with them twice a year. Kent, we're going to go with you for the second pick. Oh, wow. Ah, man, this seems, this is tough. I think barring injury, barring any unforeseen circumstances, I think this is a pretty safe pick just in terms of what you can count on week to week. I'm going to go with Ezekiel Elliott for this pick because I think he's going to be the Zeke maybe we're more familiar with a couple of years ago. And, you know, like I said, if Tony Pollard's more involved, that's great. But I still think Zeke is is a very, very powerful member of this offense. And you can do a lot centered around Ezekiel Elliott. So I think he's going to be still the centerpiece of this offense uh, for the most part. And I expect big things from him. So I'll take Zeke with pick number two. I think things are going to open up for him this year in the red zone. Mm. Uh, I think he's got a chance to be a high touchdown guy. They're going to try to get – there should be a lot of focus on stopping the passing attack, assuming everyone stays healthy. And I think they're going to be able to spread it out and be able to run it, not run it into tight boxes, spread the field out, and then let Zeke kind of find the hole, have some more keepers with Dak and things like that. I think Zeke's going to have a huge year. So nothing wrong with that pick at all. I'm going to go third, John, so you get the turnaround. It would be unfair if I got the snake draft turnaround. Um, so uh, I'm going with Zach Martin because with Travis Frederick gone, they have to have the good Zach Martin that we know him to be. Um, but that can't fall off. That's still got to be there. He's got to be that 
you know, Hall of Fame caliber player that he's been throughout his career so far. Uh, that has to be there. Zach Martin is my pick in the first round. And statistically, you guys won't be able to hold it against me unless he gets hurt. Yeah, um, exactly. That's a great – that's a really smart choice. That's a safe pick if ever there was one. Kind of trying to get ahead of it here. Now, John, you got the two-pick turnaround here. Um, two picks in a row. Make it happen, buddy. Take Dez. Right, I'm going to go Take uh, Mari Cooper. Dez. <laughs> in, just in case. <laughs> Earl I'll Thomas. Go, I'll go Amari Cooper and uh, – Oh, Okay. Give me. LP. Saw you over there making this some notes. Tough. He's this been doing tough. calculations. Yeah, because it's not about like how they really play. It's about perception. It's about um, yeah. What, what, what do you so, think it's going to look like at the end of this thing? All right, give me Tony Pollard. Oh, Whoa. wow! Okay. All right, some seen some things we haven't. Obviously, okay. <laughs> right, I like that. I All right, All right Ryder. Uh, okay, if we're doing snake draft, it's back to me, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Never but uh, let me uh, let me say, I, I, you guys know how I probably feel about uh, him. Um, uh, but I think Jalen Smith could have a oh. have a, a, a big bounce back year. Um, again, I wasn't terribly happy with that draft pick when it happened because I think it's weird to take guys who have really messed up knees like that that high. Um, and because at the combine that year, when I went, uh, a doctor for another NFL team told me there's a 20% chance he ever plays again. Uh, and then the Cowboys took him. I was like, man, this doctor just said he's never going to play again. What's going on? But maybe that doctor sucks. I've seen that before. Uh, so yeah, Jalen Smith will be my, uh, my pick on the, uh, defensive side. Go ahead, Kent. All right. Should I go defense here? Maybe receiver. I dare you to go defense. Maybe kicker. Oh, by the way, you just got to see Brett Maher got cut from the Jets uh, this morning. Poor guy. Oh, my God. Anyway, really? I'm going with Michael Gallup with this pick. Okay. He's gonna have so, a- all three wide receivers have been picked. It makes sense. Gallup, Gallup's the guy they don't pay, right? Gallup's the guy who goes on and signs a deal with another team. Not only do they, I did not see them paying them just because of what else they have. It's just like, I feel like every year in the draft in the first three rounds, there's just so many receivers that go like, why wouldn't you just in another year, just draft another wide receiver? I mean, I, I personally hate that. Cause he's one of my favorite players on the team just to deal with. Like he's just a really good dude. Um, and I think he really brings that group together. I think everybody like loves him on that offense. So you'd want to keep him around and maybe if he's willing to take some type of a hometown deal or whatever, but I don't know. I think he's going to get offered some decent money in free agency, and I don't know if they're going to match it. All right, Kent. I'm yeah. sorry, Mike. Oh, yeah, this is Mike. Mike. I'm sorry. Um, Give us Blake Jarwin. Blake Jarwin. That's a good sneaky pick. He could be a, could be a big part of this thing. So from what the, we've seen in practice, he's been a, a pretty popular uh, target, particularly in, in the red zone. They seem to seems like him and Dak have really hit it off. And, you know, the thing is, like, it's funny, like, you know, especially like late in the first half or towards the end of games when they're trying to get in position to either kick a tying field goal, game winning field goal, game winning touchdown. They would you would always see all those dump offs to Jason Witten and he'd get all those yards like that, like. Jarwin's going to get a lot of those catches. Like they're going to still do some of that same stuff. I can just tell. And uh, yeah, they're using him 
there I mean he's a better pass catcher right now than where Witten was at, at his in at his point in his career but uh yeah no for sure Jarwin's gonna Jarwin and Pollard to me that like one of those guys is gonna have a bigger role than than we've seen in previous years and I I'd like to say both are just there's only one football to go around all these guys but one of those guys is gonna have a big year and I know the sample size is small with him but man he seems really good on the seams too like he can really work the seams yeah, like he Absolutely. can sp- spread the field out. Like that's uh, you know with Witten, Witten had just gotten so slow and so it was very measured. He could still perform, you know, to his credit. But like there are things Jarwin can do just because of his speed to get up the field and change the really football at some point becomes line basketball is the same way about geometry a little bit. He changed the geometry of the field and like you know Jarwin will help do that. And also if if his weakness is being an inline blocker. Well then, you know they can run. They can have him be a slot guy sometimes, and still be on the field. And you kind of have to make the defense adjust to that. Just kind of spread the field out a little bit more. Yeah. I think McCarthy is a little more mindful of that stuff than Jason Garrett is. Yeah, doesn't everybody have another tight end for inline blocking anyway? That's more, yeah. that, more you know, used more for that than maybe pass catching. Yeah, most teams do. You know, a lot of teams don't try to load up the box and and ram it into. You know, you know, big formations like the Cowboys are kind of dead set on doing that. It seemed like a lot of the times and that's more aimed at Scott Linehan a couple of years ago. I think Kellen Moore's got a better idea for, uh, you know, the, the geometry of the field and things like that and the angles and how to get, you know, people open into space. But, uh, you know, Kellen's still growing as a, as a play caller as well. Well, then that was a problem, too, is that what they would do is they'd bring out these extra tight ends. They bring out the fullback. And then the defense just like, okay, fine. I mean, yeah, you guys are loaded talent-wise, but go ahead and beat this nine-man box. Let's see what happens there, you know? And so now, then again, that's why you take CeeDee Lamb, and, and what they'll do is they put you out in these bunch sets. Like, even with Jarwin, they'll put him out in these bunch sets to get him away from the line, and it's kind of like, yeah, we're still going to have Zeke in the backfield, but you go ahead and try and put eight and nine in the box, and we're going to spread you out, and we're going to throw on you all day long. But now when you go out there to try and match up with our pass-catching tight end in Jarwin and, and our receivers and things like that, that's when we're going to run Zeke at at a box that is more favorable. And frankly, I feel like, I mean, not not having watched all of his games in college, but I, I feel like that's a big part of his success when he was at Ohio State. You know, they had so many other weapons, and, you know, the quarterback was willing to throw the ball all over the field, and then you know, people weren't just king on just stopping Ezekiel Elliott. And I feel like every year he's been with the Cowboys, it's become more and more like that's going to be the identity. And and I feel like Jason Garrett just backed into that even more. Like he just wanted everyone to know this is what we're going to do. And now I don't think teams can bank on that right now. I think there's a lot more uncertainty there. All right. Anything else football-wise that anyone wants to hit? Everyone good? Yeah, we got, we got a couple more picks here. Yeah, oh, we we're got, only oh, doing two picks. Oh, we're doing three picks? Yeah, I'm sorry. We'll do, we'll do three. I'm yeah. sorry. Back to Mike. Last round oh, here. Back to me? Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay. I'm going to bite down, swallow hard, and take this guy. I don't know if I trust him, but everybody says he's a changed man. So give me Alden Smith. Oh. Hey, hey, again, you're talking about perception. And this guy comes in I here know, and gets five sacks even for you. I think that's I think that's a I know, I know. It's great. Look at look at Reiner's team. It's all it's team perception, pretty sure. I like it. The perception's gonna be high on all three of those guys at the end of the year if they oh, stay yeah. healthy for sure. Uh Kent. Um give me 
I'm going to go defense here. I don't know whether to go with the risky pick or probably the safer pick, so I'll probably keep it safe. I'll go Demarcus Lawrence um, with this pick. I was going to go Trevon Diggs because of what John said. You talk about perception. You know, this guy comes in here and has a couple oh, boy, that's a good one. I thought about that, that, could, that too. That could be nice. That could be nice. So interested to see what you and uh, KT do, John, here. But I'll go D-Law with my last pick. I will take Leighton Van Der Esch. I'll take oh. both linebackers who were so good two years ago and then were both kind of bad last year after getting hurt. Uh, let's see if Mike Nolan can work his magic there. If the linebackers are good on this team and the pass rushing is good, it does take a big burden off the coverage. So, uh, yeah, Zach Martin, Jalen Smith, Leighton Van Der Esch for me. John, you have Amari Cooper and Tony Pollard. Who is your third-round pick? Yeah, I'm taking Trayvon Diggs. Um and this is tough because it would be between Diggs and Everson Griffin because I think both of them are going to make plays on defense. But I just, I mean, this secondary has just been so boring and non-playmaking for so long that I feel like even if this kid gets two or three picks that people are just going to be in love with him. So, yeah, I'll go with Diggs there. All right. There you go. It's a recap. And put a Put a bow on the 2020 everyone but Dak. Draft Mike Reiner's team, CD Lamb, Blake Jarwin, and Alden Smith. Kevin KT Turner had Zach Martin, Jalen Smith, and LVE, Leighton Vanderesh. John Mashoda, Amari Cooper, Tony Pollard, and Trevon Diggs, and me, Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Gallup, and Demarcus Lawrence. Wow, it's gonna be it's gonna be competitive, Solid. guys. May the best Solid one. Solid all the way around. Yeah. So next week I think the Cowboys website's releasing the top sixty Cowboys of all time. So we'll have that to talk about probably, and then uh, obviously it'll be a week uh, week before the game. So we'll, be, we'll get ready for for the Rams, I guess. Uh, and don't forget to follow everyone else on the Athletic. Today's Rangers trade deadline day, Mike. Are we gonna trade Joey Gallo? What's happening? Something's gotta happen. Something's gotta happen. Something's got to happen. How do you uh, feel about that? If they do trade Joey Gallo. Well, I hate it because I'm a big Joey Gallo fan, and I think they will rue the day. But at the same time, I understand why he would be, you know, fair game for that type of thing, as well as Lance Lynn. I mean, now is the time to trade both of them because their value will never be higher just because there's time left on the contracts of both of them. And I I hate the idea of trading Lance Lynn because... I have just absolutely loved watching that guy pitch more than any guy the Rangers have had in years. But it's it's wild he still gets guys out with the fastball. He yeah, just, yeah. He just runs it by people. I mean, this big lug is out there throwing fastball after fastball after fastball. And, you know, you want to say to him, man, you know, you might want to think about mixing in something else as well as maybe a solid every now and then. But, <laughs> but you know, what he's got works. And he'll just stand out there and throw it and throw it. If he throws 120 pitches every game, fine. He'll go out there next week and do the same thing. And he'll shut your ass down while he's doing it. Love that so guy. I, I saw that there are discussions with the twins, Dad Levine, uh, regarding Lance Lynn. And then, uh, you know, the Padres just made a bunch of trades. I just can't help but think I, I'm a big John Daniels fan. I, I, I think, like, he deserves the credit that he got to build that thing up. But you just have to look at the timeline. When Thad Levine and when A.J. Preller left the organization to go run the Padres and the Twins, you kind of go... Yeah, things haven't been the same since. Haven't been the same at all. Kind of lost the superhero team and tried to go do a solo record, you know? Yep. It happens. 
That's it right. Happens. The tough part, though, is you just never know what the prospects you get back. Like, you never know what those guys are going to be, you know? Like, you just never know if they're going to even be anywhere close to the, the guys you, you've you given up. And baseball is just so different like that. Like, it's you see so many times these, like, these big deals are made and the prospects you get in return, you're just like, eh. You know, they never end up, you know, I just remember growing up, you know, obviously liking the Tigers growing up in Detroit. When they traded for Miguel Cabrera, they gave up Andrew Miller and Cameron Mabin, who are their top two prospects, and it was like, I can't believe they gave up these two guys. But then in the end, you're like, yeah, I mean, they're good players, but they're not Miguel Cabrera. So it's like, I don't know if, if you can keep Joey Gallo, at least he's a proven thing. You know what you have there. But I understand if they, you know, they're not in that right window right now to win. Now you got to get what you can get for them. It just a prospect game. There's just so much uncertainty there. Yeah. Well, and if there's, also, one, if there's one thing that's become clear this year, they are not in that window right now. This team is good ways away from winning. They need more. I'm excited about Leody Taveras. Excited about seeing him up here and seeing what he did this weekend and everything. And he may be able to bring an element that this team has been lacking for, wanting and lacking for years and years and years. But, you know, him notwithstanding, it's going to take more than one guy. This is a numbers game, and they don't have the numbers right now. And also, it's pretty crazy. We always talk about Jerry Jones on this pot specific podcast. Man, the Rangers owner, I bet the percentage of Rangers fans who have never seen what the Rangers owners look like, I bet it's pretty high because they're not around. Like Mark Cuban and Jerry Jones. So I call them the ghostly trio. They're the ghostly trio, man. They're the ghostly trio. Why is trio. that? Yes. Yeah. Why, why are they like that? Or why is anyone? I don't know. I, I guess I don't understand why you'd want to own a team if you don't want to be seen. Well, I, I, I don't guess. think they love baseball. See, that that's, that's the other side of owning a team. If you do own a team, but you don't want to yeah. be seen, you can do that. You know, there have been others that did that before. Yeah. Although, you know, not terribly often in recent years. Most of those guys who own a team are at least somewhat visible. But I wouldn't know Neil Liebman if he were to walk in here right now and knock me over the head with a two by four. <laughs> <laughs> he did, hey, Mike, that'd I'm be odd. Neil. Yeah, that'd be very odd. I just yeah. always assumed that owning sports franchises is like for rich people that are just like, I want to have this fun thing on the side that like everybody will know me for yeah. and win. Everybody will love me. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's, you know, that's the way it generally rolls, but not with these guys. You know, with Ray, there was uh, Ray Davis. Uh, there was, you know, theories that he viewed it as the legacy piece and then that he would turn the team, o- uh, team over to his daughter. But as we've seen the oil business have its issues and then the new stadium get built, it does seem like they're preparing for a flip. But, man, you try to get information on that and you hear stuff, you hear things one day, and then you talk to someone else and you hear the other thing. I think uh, for anyone who's ever criticized Jerry or Mark Cuban though, over the years, like, what are you going to say, man? At least they care about winning. Like, uh, it, it sucks to have guys who you truly don't think they care. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Ray Davis wants to win, but I don't think he has a hard time sleeping at night because of tough losses. I know Cuban and Jerry have that. They burn, man. They burn yeah. for this stuff. I mean, you can say what you want to about them, but you cannot question their give a shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I'll make sure that you all subscribe to the new uh, podcast, Mike Reiner, Square One with Mike Reiner um, on The Athletic. We've got a new episode coming up uh, as well. And also, uh, please continue to uh, to listen to About Them Cowboys as we get going about two weeks away from week one, you can go to theathletic.com slash about them cowboys for a 40% discount. If you are a first time subscriber, 
Tim Cato's got a good piece, season review on the Mavs. Uh, Sean Shapiro, obviously working the Stars beat, Saad Yusuf and the gang. All the Stars playoff nuggets that you need. Levi Weaver on the Rangers and the trade deadline. Jamie Newberg has some articles up with some mock trades. Look, it's a pretty good time in the sports world, so make sure that you keep it here at The Athletic. For our producer, Kent Garrison, for my man, Father John Mashoda, and for this week's special guest, the Old Gray Wolf, Mike Reiner. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, KT. Thank you for having me. I'm Kevin KT Turner. We'll see you next time on another episode of About Them Cowboys. Cowboys.